Super Talk Mississippi media production. State Treasurer David McRae has put millions back into the hands of Mississippi citizens, expanding the state's affordable college and career savings program and also returning record amounts of unclaimed money. Check out how Treasurer David McRae's office can help you, your business, or your organization. Treasury.ms.gov. Is up on a Wednesday. I'm Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator is Colin Brister, as always. We appreciate you hanging out with us on a Wednesday. An interesting show to get to today, I guess. Um, not a ton that's happened since the last time we talked. Uh, there was a baseball game, kind of. There was a some basketball attrition. Uh, we had some football availability. The spring game is this Saturday, which is kind of crazy because, like, I complain about spring practice being this like long drawn out exercise and all of a sudden it feels like the spring game gets here before you know it so some different stuff to get to today we'll get to some probably some non old miss news too some stuff happened in the sports world the aaf folded in a very rather bizarre fashion um so a lot to get to today we'll just kind of see where it takes us colin how are you i'm good i'm good it's it's a beautiful wednesday morning uh yeah that was that was allegedly a baseball game yesterday that's a good way to put it yeah, so I guess we'll just get right into it. So Ole Miss plays North Alabama yesterday. It's the kids' school day game, and it's 11 a.m. It's always a weird vibe, and I, I think it's a good thing they do it. Like, the kids really seem to enjoy it. So obviously they bring all the kids into Oxford, and I think surrounding school districts too. Like, I think it's right. like Batesville and Bruce, all of that. Yeah. So Yeah, so a lot of kids, you know, four or 5,000 kids in the ballpark Obviously, a fun day out of school for them and all that seems like a good thing. But it's always just an like it's always just a different vibe. And Mike Bianco described it on a radio show on Monday as breaking up the monotony of the midweek. But in some ways, to me, it'd be kind of harder to play a baseball game at eleven in the morning. I don't know. I mean, their yeah. pregame meal was at seven a.m. Like it's just a different routine, and so that game always has a strange vibe to it. And this year, it was accompanied by an even stranger result. Yeah, and, and you know we get into this a little later. I think it would almost benefit Ole Miss if they're going to do this midweek game to actually play someone that's not horrible um, during it, like a Memphis or something. And because at that point, you probably have a little bit more focus than what they had yesterday. Yeah, I, I would probably agree with that because yeah, I mean it already. But at the same time, it's like you, you're playing the school day game and all that. Like presumably, it's a game you'd want to win, and like playing North Alabama, that would. You would chalk that one up in the win column when you're going through the schedule, I would assume. So, <laughs> yeah, I would Ole think Miss, that one was on the win column yesterday. Ole Miss loses ten to four, and that's after a Kevin Graham home 10, run. Six. Ten six. Ten six. No, yeah, they lose ten six. So that's after a Kevin Graham home run. My point being, it was ten to four at one point. So the game really, for most of it, was not particularly close. Yeah. Um, Max Trophy got his first start, career start. Um, it did not go well. Um, Houston Roth and I believe Taylor Broadway each gave up two runs in relief. It, they played poor defensively. Like I, I'm just not even sure where to start with this one. Like I got I, yesterday, I left the game. We got on radio. Obviously, it kind of led the show because it was such a strange occurrence. And Richard was asking me like how it happened. I'm like I, I don't I don't really know. <laughs> well, they can't really pitch. I, I mean, Austin Miller, God forbid, has one bad day and it kind of just blows up on Ole Miss. Um, you know, Broadway hasn't been good all year, which makes no sense to me because the stuff there is electric. Um, and then Roth has his first bad day in a while, and they just couldn't get out. And, and you know, I don't believe in timely hitting at all, but Ole Miss just didn't get runners in. Uh, they, they left a, a small army on the bases. and Left 11 runners on, 4 of 14 with runners in scoring position. <sighs> I mean, you know, it, it seems like you probably need to be better than that with uh, 
you know, playing North Alabama. And the problem was they could, they would get two outs on North Alabama. I can't, I don't recall their two out hitting numbers, but it was over like 400. Um, they just could not finish innings. Yeah, it's just it, it's 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 weird to sit here and like break it down because at the end of the day, North Alabama is five and twenty-one. It is their six first and twenty-one year. now, right? Yeah, six. They came into the game <laughs> five and twenty-one. It is their first year as a Division One baseball program. There are two hundred ninety-nine teams rated in the RPI, and they fell at a firm two eighty-five. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just. It's it, it's bizarre. So Ole Miss was two of eleven hitting with two outs, and North Alabama was ten of eighteen. That seemed pretty good. Uh, yeah, yeah, for one team, one not the other. Yeah, um, exactly. North Alabama was nine of twenty-two with runners on base. Ole Miss was six of nineteen, six of sixteen for the Mighty Lions and runners in scoring position. Four of fourteen for Ole Miss. Uh, and, and this is what probably killed him. Leading off an inning, they were five for nine. Oof. And and yeah, I mean, then that five to five of nine, that's just hitting. Like that doesn't include walks. Yeah, that's just leading off an inning. Okay, good God. Um, yeah, it's it's probably the worst regular season loss in program history. I mean, from a sheer number standpoint, I think it would have to be because I could. I tried to go back through it. I thought they lost to Pine Bluff once, but that was they almost lost to him in fifteen. That would have yeah. been up there. Yeah, I just, I, I, I mean, from a numbers standpoint, it has to be, no? It's kind of like hard to get beyond 285 when there's 299 teams. <laughs> you know, yeah. That's true. Look, I mean, there's a finite number of teams you could have even scheduled to, I guess, get, get beyond that and lose yeah, to. And so. look, there's an element of this happens because are you look at, you know, we watched that Little Rock team um, come in here and play. That Little Rock team beat Arkansas like a drum last night. Um, a horrible San Diego State team beat up on Oregon State last night. I mean, baseball does happen in a sense, but Ole Miss has probably limited themselves from a margin of error standpoint. That this can't happen if if you want to, you know, reach your ceiling at this point. Well, they're 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 already at six midweek losses. That's kind of like, I mean, twenty and six is really kind of the threshold, right? To where like as long as your midweek records, I mean non-conference record or whatever is better than 20 and six, like as a whole, that shouldn't really dink you or, or dock you, whatever you want to call it in terms of, uh, in terms of your resume for like hosting and all that, but you really get beyond that and you start kind of worrying about it. Well, I think what this does, you know, from a hosting perspective, if that's still something that Ole Miss is wanting to discuss is they probably before yesterday needed to win 17 SEC games. And, and I think now after that R- RPI, Bob, you're probably going to have to win 18. Yeah, I would agree, and that's no easy task in this league. And like, it feels weird having a hosting conversation at this point. Yeah, but you're still talking about it from the frame of frame of mind of like what this team's goals were, like and, and realistic expectations were heading into the year. That was certainly one of them. And so, like, with all the issues this team has, like as currently constructed, like obviously the the hosting thing is kind of in the rear view, like not in the rear view mirror, but way off. Like, like it, it, they got enough stuff to work out first before that's even really a possibility. But but just from a big-picture standpoint, they are putting themselves – like, if that becomes a possibility and they get hot in, non, in conference play, they're really hurting themselves on the midweek. Like, they can't really lose again. And they still have to play State twice I – mean, Southern Miss twice, State and Memphis. I think, realistically, you've got to take two of three from Southern Miss and State. And I'll be honest, I, I don't 
looking at this pitching staff beyond what they the regulars they use on the weekends, I'm not sure how they can beat either of those. Uh, Southern Miss is a, is a pretty good baseball team. Mississippi State's one of the best teams in the country. And I, I just don't really see it from a pitching perspective how they're going to be able to compete consistently in the midweeks against those teams, especially be able to take two. And that's um, the that's the root of all of this, right? Like it's funny to like like kind of point out how like they lost to a team that's like two eighty five in the RPI, whatever, like really bad loss. Like I'll be that all that be that as it may, but like the root issue here is is they they get exposed with their pitching depth in the midweek. Like they don't have a midweek starter that can give them anything, and then the bullpen behind it is not great in particular either. Yeah, and and I don't know how you go about fixing this midweek issue because you know obviously Max Trophy doesn't perform well yesterday. I thought he actually would. I kind of liked him as a starter. I thought he projected well as a starter, and uh, it just did not go well for him yesterday. And then nobody behind him could get outs. I mean, did they did they bring in a bullpen guy that got outs consistently yesterday? Because if they did, I can't remind, I can't recall one. I'm pretty. I think I don't. Let me pull up the box. Connor Green, I think Connor get Green was pretty good. Connor Green pitched. I believe he pitched two thirds of an inning scoreless. No, that's that's uh, good. Uh, Ryan Olenek pitched a perfect inning. No, that's um, true. That's true. People Connor, forget about him. Connor Green pitched an inning and a third, no runs, two hits, two strikeouts. Well, that's, well, that's, that's good. Literally the only one. The him and Olenek. Oh, Zach um, Phillips pitched two thirds of an inning. Yeah, he is still going to throw SEC innings this year. But yeah, it just it was an awful day. I, I mean, you know, the offense. Yeah, you score six runs or whatever, but it was not a it was not a strong offensive day. I mean, Graham's home run at the end of the game kind of bloats that a little bit. They were they'd score four through eight and two thirds, which is pretty unacceptable against North he's Alabama. He's making pitching. though. All that aside, he's making my take that he's going to stick around in the lineup, look a little more firm. I think he sticks around against righties uh, for sure. I, I don't think he plays versus lefties, um, but. Yeah, I mean, he's going to have to stand in the lineup. He hit two home runs in two games. I think he hit a double yesterday as well. Um, so that, You can see the power there, too. Oh, absolutely. Like it's not just two home runs. Like, the one in Arkansas, the only reason it stayed in the like within the vicinity of the complex is because it hit a light pole. And then the one <laughs> yesterday was way out of there. Not that it matters. I mean, they were getting killed. Like, But, like, you can kind of see the raw power with that kid and what he's going to be in the middle of the lineup for years to come. Yeah, he's and, you know he's playing first base now. and. You know, I think he's played a pretty good first base. Um, but, you know, it just it just didn't happen for Ole Miss yesterday. And they go into a Florida series where you better win two or you kind of put yourselves behind the eight ball. Yeah, so from a pitching standpoint, though, like that's really what the root issue of all this is. And I don't know what they do in the midweek. I think at the end of the day, I think I don't think Hoagland gives you enough on the weekends. I think you have to put him in the midweek and live with it and put Roth on Sundays. I think that's what ends up happening. Roth didn't help himself yesterday. No, you but he's, his body of work over the last five, six outings has been pretty good. Yeah, and I mean, his body of work over the past two years. I think you're right. I think Houston Roth has got to start baseball games. Whether it's And, you know, here's the thing you've got to kind of gauge is – are and I understand that the, these SEC games are more important and all that, but does Houston Roth give you a better chance to get where you want to go starting against Mississippi State and Southern Mess? Or does Gunnar – you know what I'm saying? Like, those games are just as important. I mean, the, hell, the Mississippi State game is just important. They count as a conference game um, when you when you look at it in June. So, I don't know if Ole Miss would be best served having, you know, Roth in the midweek right now against those teams and then move him to the weekend. Yeah, you just can't continue to run Jordan Fowler out there. I don't think the – like, are they gonna? Are you gonna try the Max Trophy experiment again? I, I would think no. Yeah, probably not. I mean, Zach. I mean, 
I don't think you can start Zach Phillips in the midweek at this point. Like I just, there's, there, he's running out of options. And you know who would be the perfect fit for this, but he's still not getting anything. Greer Holston. Like that's kind of. <laughs> That's kind of the stopper, and that's really what the, what the problem with this team has been. Is you know we've talked about it before. It's like Mike Bianco is working without basically two major contri- what he thought would be two major contributors. Yeah, and in um, Jordan Fowler and Greer Holston, like one you're getting next to nothing out of, and one hasn't suited up for a base. I mean, he's suited up, but he hasn't played in a baseball game this year. Yeah, you know you keep hearing he's getting closer and closer, but at some point, I mean, it's April. If he's going to pitch, you you would think he's going to pitch. Um, but, I wouldn't count on it. Yeah, I, I I think redshirting is the option at this point. You know, hopefully I'm wrong, but um, you're not getting much out of Fowler. You're not getting anything out of Holston. Two guys that you know we kind of expected to have big roles uh, at the end of last year, and, and just not getting anything out of those. And you know, and some other guys, it, it appears you know velocity is down from what they regularly are. It's it's just kind of been a weird season from a pitching standpoint. Yeah, so be that as it may, as bad of a loss as it was, if they take two out of three this weekend, they're still like, like the sky isn't necessarily falling. Now, if they lose two out of three to Florida, they're they're kind of right back in a in a in a bit of a hole. Yeah. So, I mean, if they they win two out of three this weekend, it's not necessarily going to matter. It's a bad loss. It's an RB, RPI pitfall, a major one. Um, yeah, they it cost them a, five spots in the RPI. Whether they were going to, well. They fell 12, but they were going to fall five, or I think they were going to fall five or six, even with a win, because the, the RPI was so bad. But with a loss, they fell six extra. And uh, Northern Al- North Alabama moved up 13. Big, big day for the Lions. Uh, <laughs> Get back into the original yeah, discussion. Yeah, it's 6 and 21. The road to 500 starts, I guess, yesterday. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah, kind of putting a bow on that. I mean, they got to figure out something in the midweek. The and Borky kind of squatted on this take yesterday on the show, and I'm not necessarily sure. I disagree, but I don't necessarily think it's a huge pressing issue. Is this team good enough to play the 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 you know irregular lineup in the midweek at this point? Or you, don't you kind of have to go with your guns all the way through? You can't catch Cooper Johnson 56 games. Aside from uh, him, I'll, I'll I'll give that a pass. Yeah. I don't know. I think I think I kind of agree with him. I think you've got to play your guys right now. I think I mean because you're playing Mississippi State and Southern Miss. I, I think you're. I you think can get guy, away with Knox Laposte or, or Dillard catching and some sticking someone else in the outfield like Cooper Johnson aside because you cannot you're it's you can't catch him 56 games. That that is definitely correct. But aside from like him removed from the equation, um, you know I I don't I just wonder if there's a way to get Cooper into the lineup because you need his bat right now. As funny as that sounds, is his DH and, and work around that. Um, you know, uh, who can the Zabowski, kid play outfield? Well, he can DH and you can move Zabowski to first. Hell, can Kevin Graham play outfield? You know, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, Cooper Johnson, he can throw up people out at second base from the outfield, different angle, but. <laughs> I mean, you know, as versatile as this lineup is, you would think that they could maybe figure something out. I mean, you move Zabowski to first. Uh, I don't know. You, you move Keenan to second. You know, Graham to th- I don't know. You, it seems like you can figure something out, whereas Cooper Johnson's in the lineup but not catching because, you, like I said, you need his bat at this point. He's hitting 291 this year, which might be the biggest surprise on the team. Yeah, it is. He's been really, really – one of the – I mean – Outside of Zabowski, he's been about the most consistent hitter, no? I mean, not necessarily the best at all times, but he hasn't really sloughed like some of the no. other guys. Yeah, have. yeah. 
he's always been there. Um, you know, he's hitting 291. Um, you know, he's, that kid's made himself some money this year. Uh, you know, everybody talked about him turning down really big money coming out of high school, but I think he's going to be a first round pick this year. I don't, I don't really think there's much doubt about that at this point. You think Cooper Johnson first round pick? Well, he was going to be top two rounds pick out of high school. I mean, and he's gotten better at Ole Miss. I mean, he couldn't hit in high school, and and I don't, I don't understand why. You know, he'd go down draft boards, considering how how much he's improved since he left high school. So. That kind of puts a bow on it. We did 16 minutes on a midweek loss to North Alabama. That's that's about all I can muster <laughs> on that. Um, so you know this that team, it, they still have some issues, and it was a it's a bizarre low. Like it's just, it's kind of I mean it is the lowest point of the season, don't you think? I mean worst loss, but it comes right after they go to Arkansas and kind of seemingly rectify a lot of their issues and kind of look like the team that I think a lot of people thought they were going to be. And then yeah. It's like one step forward, eight steps back. Like it, 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 yesterday made no sense in any way possible. Yeah, I, I just if you show up and win the game yesterday, you know that's what you know. A lot of you, know, you talk about last year's team, and, and this team draws comparisons to it for obvious reasons. Um, that team always showed up. They didn't win all the time, and 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 they didn't play well against Tennessee Tech, and, and they had a bad day against Tennessee Tech. But that honestly was the only day that you could look at them and say, man, they just didn't play well. Because every every game last year, that team played well. They showed up, um, and sometimes they just got beat. Sands maybe the first game against Mississippi State last year. But this team just has times when they just don't show up. And and I don't know what to how you, how you fit, go about fixing that, but I know that at this point they can't really afford to do that anymore. Oh, yeah, that, that's certainly it. So, series of Florida this weekend. Florida kind of had a get-right weekend with Alabama. This past weekend, feeling a little bit better about themselves, the series Ole Miss really has to win. Um, just kind of going elsewhere, we've obviously had a, a lot of basketball news on Monday. It was a big roster attrition day. So, Dominique Olenicek has entered the transfer portal. Um, I was told from a couple people kind of around the situation that, yes, he's entered the transfer portal, but that's that's kind of just to keep all of his options on the table. I, I think his family is kind of pressing him to go play overseas somewhere um, professionally. And he so won't be I, back at Ole Miss, though, correct? Oh, no, no. He's, he's gone from Ole Miss. My point was just to be like, – because I think that was kind of the thought with him is, is, is he's either back at Ole Miss or he's going to go play professionally. But – Entering the transfer portal would lead some to believe that he's going to end up on another college campus. That may happen, but I, I, I've been told that that's not necessarily the case. He just entered the transfer portal to kind of keep all the options on the table at this point, if that makes sense. Sure, sure. Uh, so, Brian Halem, Zach Naylor in it too? Yeah, Brian Halem, Zach Naylor are both entered the transfer portal. Just two guys that never – like. You, you could kind of guess those from a couple months out in terms of what's this team going to look like next year in terms of who's back and who's not. I mean, really out of that whole younger group, the really the one they saw kind of a future with was Luis Rodriguez. And, you know, outside of the, the core the core four guys, like Luis is the safest one on the roster. Like he, they, they definitely kind of see them moving forward with him. So this is just kind of the nature of the beast in college basketball. Scholarships aren't guaranteed, you know, the full four years. You know, when you bring in a bigger class like Ole Miss, I think, intending to sign and, and could be especially large if, if Brakefield ends up reclassifying to 2019. So it's just kind of a numbers game. Um, you know, Dom was a guy that you thought maybe early January. They're like, OK, this kid's shown some signs. You can maybe build around him for next year and kind of keep him around. And then it, it became abundantly clear that this was just not going to work. I mean, at the end of the day, look, the kid tried. The kid plays hard. 
you know, he seems like a good dude, but at the end of the day, he's a he's a seven foot center that doesn't particularly rebound or score very much and doesn't guard the perimeter at all. That just doesn't really fit into the confines of how basketball is played in this current version of kind of yeah. positionless basketball. Yeah, it, it just it never worked out here. And you know, early there was you know people thought he was going to be a really good rim protector, and, and you know that it some that he'd probably be a better defender than Sebastian Saez, who you know who was really good for Ole Miss for four years, and it just never worked out. Um, you know, Ole Miss kind of just went away from him there at the end, so it wasn't surprising at all to I guess see him in the transfer portal. Um, like you said, Hallams and Naylor never really got into you know meaningful action. I guess Naylor played against Auburn. Um, and hit a big three, but other than that, there really wasn't much there. So with those three leaving, that means Ole Miss right now, uh, with nobody else leaving, can sign two players. So, you know, I, I think I, I think Ole Miss signs more than two players, so I wouldn't be shocked if there's more attrition. Well, I think that's kind of the number. Like, I think it's kind of status quo as of now, and really the only thing that's going to shake things up is if Brakefield – uh, reclassifies to 2019. Um, well, I told that that's kind of the thing that would move one more piece. Well, see, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah, they would have to move another one because they're. I think they're really in it for Austin Crowley. Um, I think they're really in it for Kadeem Sai, and I think the McNeil kid. I can't Alex McNeil, maybe a JUCO uh, small or shooting guard. I think they're in it for him, so I think they're in it on four guys. And you know, obviously, it'd be it's probably not likely that they land all four, but. Uh, any anything after two, uh, a player is going to have to go simply from a roster management standpoint. But you're you're right, probably probably one more if Breakfield reclassifies. Yeah, and I, I'm not sure if it's probably. I think I think they they're kind of like I'm not sure they know at this point. But the point being, so they get a commitment from Sean Robinson, and I think it's going to end up being a really good player for them. A kid that that's he's an interesting kid because he's he's. He's rated a three star, but I think that's more from people not being able to see him play. He had a growth spurt too. Yeah, so he's what six ten now. Yeah, I think he was like six five, and now he's six ten, which makes a little bit of a difference. Yeah, so now he's six ten, two ten. You know, that kind of fits the mold of Kermit Davis, kind of having a bunch of mobile ish forwards that can kind of play on the perimeter a little bit. Like, like he would like to have more, like more variations. You know give or take height and body frame a little bit, but like Blake Henson and KJ Buffett, like three or four kind of in those range. And then a point guard is kind of what, what his ideal lineup looks like. Yeah. And you know, Robinson certainly fits that he's a 2020 kid. So they'll have to wait a year on him. Um, but I, I think that was probably the you know first recruiting win for uh, Kermit here. You know, Sammy Hunters was a really good win. I think he's going to be a good player for him this year. But they really, really wanted the Sean Robinson kid. And, and I know they were excited to land him on Wednesday. I guess it was and, Monday. Monday, sorry. Yeah, and Kermit never, Kermit never shied away from the fact. Like, I mean, he got asked immediately in in Columbia after their loss. You know, did this look like what you wanted it to look like? How's it going to look different next year? And he was like, "Look, like, you know, we've got bodies have to change, or we have, we're going to have some roster turnover." Like, he never hid from the fact that that, that there is going to be some roster turnover, and there has been. I think you saw the bulk of it yesterday. I don't think you're going to see very much. Very much more, like, I don't even know if that makes sense, more attrition. Like, I, I think the bulk of what happened on Monday is going to be what happens, minus if Breakfield reclassifies and they need one more open, you'll see one more guy go. Yeah, probably so. Um, you know, we don't want to get into who we think's next. I, I think, you know, like you said, Luis Rodriguez is safe. Um, you know, Franco Miller is probably, you know, if the knee responds, I think they really like Franco Miller. 
Yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't know. There's, there's just much left to be determined. I, although I, I do think if there was a guy that he's definitely like, I mean, that's that that might be it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, who knows? I mean, it, it, it may not even happen. There may not, you know, they may not need another roster spot open. But the point being, that's kind of the bulk of the roster attrition that you're going to see. It's kind of interesting that it all happened in one day. It almost felt like Black Monday and like the NFL coaching. <laughs> Coaching circuit. It's like kind of like okay, that this is this happened. This happened quickly, and like this is how it's going to be. So, you know, they they think obviously Bree and Tyree Devonte sure that that kind of core core group will be back. Buffin obviously Henson back. So a lot to build around next year, but the team is definitely going to look drastically different. And it'll be interesting to see kind of from year like what I'm going to be watching from year one to year two is how much more Kermit Davis kind of puts his fingerprint on the program. And I know that sounds like a cliche, but like how does their style of play and the way they defend and the different things he helps them do defensively look different from year one to year two? Because I think that's going to show kind of how severely, and I'm not saying like he was severely, even though I think he was, like how severely was he actually handcuffed in year one in terms of what he wanted to do defensively and all that? Like I think you'll kind of get a better idea of that as we move into year two. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I, I think obviously, obviously, when you're best on ball defender, I think it's fair to say that. Oh, excuse me, Schuler was probably their best all on ball defender, but when he gets hurt, I mean, you know, you're kind of behind the eight ball there. So it going forward, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how the how the next year is different, how they implement the one three one because they didn't play that a ton towards the end of the year. Uh, and, and how that, you know, what he does going forward from the from a defensive standpoint, because he's always been, you know, lauded as a as a defensive genius. So, and Ole Miss obviously struggled on defense this year. Probably, you know, not much to do with coaching. Probably Jimmy uh, Jimmy's and Joe's problem. So, you know, it'll be interesting when he gets his guys in here to see how it differs from what it was this year. So that's kind of it, and kind of everything that's happened on the basketball front. Football, you've got the Grove Bowl this weekend. Uh, we had availability last night. Talked to Sam Williams. Talked to Jonathan Haynes. Talked to Matt Luke and Grant Tisdale. That's that was the other one. I was just slipping my mind. Not I know a whole who two of those people are. Not a not a whole lot to report. Report <laughs> there. Cavante uh, Ruggs has been suspended indefinitely from the team. Um, freshman linebacker who drew like the opening day start. Uh, against Texas Tech before he concussed himself, came back. Never like he is a hyper aggressive kid that never not always knew what he like. The whole thing with him is the coaches were always like, if he knows what he's doing and where to go, he's going to be a really good player. Kind of faded off towards the end where he didn't see him as much. I don't necessarily know what's going on there. I when it when it was reported, like uh, there were people saying that he's kind of going through a tough time. You could tell from his social media. I looked into it. There is a lot going on there. Whatever it is, I hope the kid ends up ends up okay and everything. But just kind of from from a hard news front, that that was the main thing that came out of there um sam williams is a, the probably the best player they signed in the class um juco guy gonna play defensive end he's going to play and probably start immediately um i, I think he'll fit well in mike mcintyre's three four scheme he's an interesting kid because he didn't start playing football until he was a senior in high school he was Good. a basketball player he's a, kind of an interesting story he's a basketball player and his basketball coach actually he said he told us last night his basketball coach encouraged him to play football his senior year so he would toughen up and be able to score in contact in the lane. And then <laughs> the kid gets on a football field and apparently kind of quickly realizes that's his future. So kind of an under-recruited kid goes to JUCO. Um, going to be a really good player next year. I think he fits that outside position in Mike McIntyre's defense pretty well. He's 
you know, he's, he's, he's kind of more natural as a pass rusher and has really good pass rushing skills, but he can also drop kind of into coverage and do some different things. So I, I think he fits that outside position very well. Um, Jonathan Haynes is a free safety um, kind of, I mean, big physical kid. I'm not sure where he fits in next year. I'm assuming he'll play some just because Ole Miss lost some depth in the secondary. I'm um, still a long way out, but, and then Grant Tisdale is interesting. He, he seems like a really well, like a put together, well-spoken kid. It, you know, I asked him a little bit about how Matt Corral has kind of become the de facto old guy in a incredibly young quarterback room. I mean, it's kind of <laughs> remarkable. Matt Corral's a redshirt freshman as the season vet in that quarterback room, you know, among Tisdale and Kincaid. Dent right now is what they I have. I was going to say, is, Ken, is Dent on campus? Yeah, he was an early enrollee. So, and both those guys are going to go full contact in the spring game. Corral will not, but I thought that was interesting because – you know, I, they're going to go full contact with Tisdale in there because I think they kind of want to like see his running abilities to the fullest extent. So that'll be something kind of interesting to watch. For obviously, you don't want Matt Corral getting hit around a bunch in the spring game, God but no. it'll be interesting to see. Like obviously, Matt Corral's the guy going forward, but with Tisdale's ability to run, like it'll be interesting to see kind of how that fits in Rich Rod's offense. Although it, I say that you're not going to see a ton on Saturday. Like you're not going to know a ton about what the offense is going to look like after Saturday, even after no. watching some of it. They're not going to put a ton on film for Memphis to. I mean, this is getting things going to be on TV. Uh, you know, they're not going to put a ton on film for Memphis to go scout and have game plans for. Uh, you know, that's kind of one of the hardest things to do is game plan for a new offensive coordinator. Now, look, obviously, there's a ton of film out on, on freaking Rich Rod um, that, that Memphis can go watch. But no, Ole Miss is not going to put a ton out in the spring game. But yeah, that's that's probably one of the more interesting things in the spring game is to see how Dan and uh, Tisdale play. Yeah, and then defensively, it'll just be kind of interesting. Like, we've heard, like, it's harder. Like, I've tried to track it as best I could, but it's hard for me to keep up of, like, who they've actually moved where. And I haven't been able to get to practice very much because we do radio during most of, like, the practice availability. So, at least from me, from, like, a personal standpoint, it'll be interesting to see kind of all at one time who they have playing where. And most of that is, is, is defensive ends moving to kind of that outside linebacker and linebacker moving defensive end, vice versa, that outside kind of kind of up position in, right. in McIntyre's 3-4 thing. So, I, that'll be interesting. Um It'll be interesting to see. Like you're not going to see much offensively, but like how they use Tyler Knight, whether it's at running back, slot receiver, kind of scat back things. So some interesting things to to watch for in the spring game. And you know, it, you know, from a overall program standpoint, obviously there's not a ton of like buzz or hype, but there's so much new there that it'll be kind of fascinating to see how just even in a very vanilla carnation, what it kind of looks like on Saturday. Yeah, you know, it's obviously you got two new coordinators, so there's been some installation over the over the past few weeks. So that'll be, you know, they'll show some stuff. But like you said, it'll be extremely vanilla, uh, probably even a little bit beyond vanilla. You're not going to get much out of Saturday, but you know, I think you might can see, uh, you know, what what the starting defense can look like and, and who they anticipate, you know, ca- counting on throughout the throughout the year. Um, you know, it's, yeah, it's going to be more of who they who they like personnel wise and what they can do more so than like oh this is what they're doing scheme wise yeah you know and they'll probably get lined up correctly on defense so that will help some eyes in the uh, right place a lot of good fits <laughs> good fits uh mainly they'll get lined up correctly because you know i i'm not a defensive whiz but i don't think having uh cedric woods a uh, uh, fake blitzing and then trying to cover jerry judy was you know the best thing that uh that Ole Miss ever did on defense, but yeah, you know, look, this spring game's not going to tell you a whole lot. They've got, they've got, you know, probably three more months. What's when well, I got four more months to get everything installed. So, 
you know, that's when the real work be- begins is when they start fall camp. Yeah, and, you know, I don't know if the res- – I mean, it's a young team. So, Matt, but the, 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 like, it, it feels like a reset. Like, Matt Luke put his own coordinators in there. It's an incredibly young football team. Um, so, you know, it, it is kind of a reset year. So, I don't know if the results will be different. But, like, the, the, way, the way they arrive at those results will be drastically different and probably more visually appeasing than, than a year ago. I'll put you on the spot. How many football games they win next year? Oh man, I couldn't even begin to tell you because you go through this every year. You go through all this every year, and like, like I'll put an example last year. So like, you're you know, at this time last year, you're going through Ole Miss win loss schedule. Like Auburn's an automatic loss, and by the time that got there, that was an incredibly winnable game. Sure, but but I think that I think that kind of and works so, itself so was out. Well, I, I think that kind of works itself out as as you look at you know. Uh, maybe you thought that Ole Miss could play with Mississippi State at home. By the time State rolled into Starkville, Ole Miss was not going to win that football game in any sense of the word. So it, I think that kind of just, you know, it varies, but I think it evens out too. I'll say five wins. I think that's what I'm going with too. I think, I think they fall just short of bowl eligibility. I think they split Memphis and Cal. I think they beat Vandy in Arkansas, and then I don't think they win another SEC game. I think they, yeah, split Memphis, Cal, go three and one in the non-conference, beat Arkansas and Vandy, go two and six. So yeah, five and seven. Yeah, I agree. I don't really know what Missouri and A and M are going to look like. Like maybe you win I think one of those A&M, games. I think A and M might be ready to compete for the West here soon because Jimbo's got that thing rolling over there. Yeah, but only a year's worth of recruiting in there really of kind of his full own thing. I agree. I mean, I don't think they're going to win that game. I just don't know what that looks like. And, like, by that point in the year, if they've lost a couple of tough games, like like how interested are they? I don't know. It's so hard to project. I think five's probably fair. And if, that's, that, if that gives them five with the puncher's chance at bowl eligibility, I think that's a raging success. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I think to, to consider it uh, – you know, a really good season. They probably need to get to bowl to a bowl. It'll be the first bowl they've played in since the Sugar Bowl. But yeah, I, I think uh, avoiding disasters probably. And you know, I know that sounds awful uh, as we're talking here in April. But I, I don't think you need to look up and then roll a three and nine or something like that. Which you know, if they don't play well, is possible because the talent's not overwhelming on this team. So you know, anywhere in between five and six wins, I don't think you can call it anything but a success. Yeah, and it gives them something to build on because a lot. I mean, most all these kids, barring some offensive, and aside from some offensive line pieces, but really even most of the offensive line is all going to be back next year. I mean, this is a year where they're going to kind of, kind of make things kind of more cohesive because th- this is their core they're going to build around for the next three or four years. Like if Matt Luke's going to either sink or float at Ole Miss, this group this year, this is kind of the first version of what he's going to have. You know, three years to basically build on because these kids aren't necessarily going anywhere. It's a really, really young team. Yeah, and it's his. It's I think it's his first team. Like obviously, you know, he loved those guys that uh, that played played for him last year. But a lot of these guys, most of these guys are, are who he recruited. Like you said, I think uh, they're gonna rec- they're gonna count on a lot of guys that that Freeze didn't have really much impact with. And so going forward, you know, it's it's his roster, it's his baby, and and you'll get a lot better feel on on his coaching ability going you know over the next year or two. Yeah, and I'm not even sure if it's necessarily fair to call it this, but last year felt like a second interim year. Like, it's just still dealing with the pieces of Freed's program, not his coordinators, mostly not his kids. And some of that, I don't know if it's like – you can debate back and forth all you want whether he should have fired the coordinators when he got the full-time job. I, I understand why he didn't, but vice versa. But, like, this finally feels like this is fully – in con- like, he's fully in control here. He's fully at the wheel, like, like – 
you got three years basically go. I, I understand what you're saying. You know, obviously the last year felt like an interim year, but I think with his decision to keep the uh, to keep the coordinators that uh, Ole Miss fans aren't going to you know grant that reprieve. Um, you know, you, you did decide to keep Phil Longo and Wesley McGriff, so I think they kind of. I, I I think it. If people that gauge it as you know this is year three, I don't think that's completely fair, or or I don't think that's completely accurate. I mean, the 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 first year that he was here, you know, the when Freeze resigns in July, there wasn't a time. Oh, you he can't could do. count that. No, you you can't count that against the guy. Now I understand if if you want to say you know last year was his first full year. Okay, I get that because you know obviously he keeps Wesley McGriff, he keeps Phil Lago, and 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 runs you know an offense that wasn't suited for um, D one football. And, you know, just I think this is but I think you're right in the sense that this is the first year that you're going to really be able to gauge anything from a uh, program management or roster management, you know, and how he handles games. And, and from that standpoint, and, yeah. and something that doesn't get talked about a lot is, you know, Matt takes a lot of heat, probably rightfully so, you know, how he, you know, goes kicks field goals from fourth and one from the one. He's got two guys that have been successful head coaches on the sidelines with him now. I think that helps. You know, there wasn't a successful head coach outside of maybe Big Nell um, on this coaching staff until this year. And I think that's going to help in, in those situations. And, and they'll be able to – because, look, obviously this is Matt Luke's first time being a head coach. And, and it, there takes some experience. There takes some learning. And I think, you know, having those guys as resources will certainly be able to help you there. Sure. And so – That'll be kind of that's kind of some stuff to look forward to for the spring game. Um, don't really whole lot a whole lot else going on from the Ole Miss standpoint. The AAF folded. I found that interesting. So basically, Tom Dundon. I don't know how much you've read into this, but he he put the two hundred fifty million dollar investment on him basically to get gambling experience. Yeah, get there, get gambling technology. And once he got the technology, basically ridded himself of everything else, which I feel like someone's going to sue the pants off of him. If he actually takes that technology and does something else. Cause I'm not a, like far from a legal expert. I feel like he can't do that. Yeah. I mean, you kind of just screwed a bunch of people. I feel like something's going to happen there. Um, you know, and, and that's a tough situation, obviously, it was you know, a you, good product, and I think it proved that there's like the TV ratings. Obviously, the week one were never going to be sustainable, but the TV ratings actually fared pretty good next to March Madness and all that. Like it proved there's an appetite for spring football in this country. Yeah, and you know it, it sucks for a lot of people that they wake up you know yesterday fully anticipating having a full time job, and today they don't have a job. Um, so just just from that aspect, it's it's kind of a crappy move by Dundon, but. You know, it's his money. He can do what he wants. It'll be interesting from a legality standpoint going forward how that's handled. Yeah, and like it, it in the, there's two parts to this because it was probably underfunded from the start. Like, if you're needing to find a gigantic investor in week three of the season, like it probably wasn't funded well enough from the beginning. Like, they probably would have done well to, like, if the XFL can learn anything from this, and it helps because they have a billionaire that's like running the whole show but like you better have your funds in order before it starts like don't get to week three needing another investor because you had that whole thing after two weeks where they're like is this thing going to fold or paychecks going to go out and then it was kind of perceived that dundon saved them and it that obviously was not the case at all yeah and and you know so it's you know just cancels i wonder what you know how they i'm sure they had deals with tvs you know uh you know they had their I guess Super Bowl, I don't know what you call it, championship, uh, slated. You know, I had TV deals and advertising. I wonder how that works itself out. Yeah, and these guys signed three-year contracts. Like, it's a – Not guaranteed, though, so they're not getting a dime. 
See, that's tough. That is yeah. tough. I imagine there's some kind of severance there, though. No. Darren like, Revelt tweeted last night that there was no severance pay. Geez, that's a rough situation. Yeah. I mean, so, you, you load up your family from California, or maybe not your family, but you just load up and sign a lease in Memphis for 12 months, and, and you're from Sacramento, California. That's a rough situation. That is definitely rough. Rough and yeah, and I was reading yesterday they had to like like that their hotels tried to kick them out yesterday and they had to pay for their own plane ride home. Just a rough deal all around. Yeah, I mean, just that's tough. So that's about all we got today. Oh wait, no, today's Wednesday. Do you have the? Uh, yeah, I, I, te- I text you something. What? What is? Go ahead. You you got it. <laughs> uh, hold on. Let me, let me pull it up. All right. Uh, I saw our good friend uh, Bunky Perkins on Twitter retweet this, and it was the funniest thing that I've seen in a while. Um, Two Arkansas men were arrested for taking turns shooting each other while wearing bulletproof vests after drinking. I think they qualify. With, like, a real gun? Yes, with a real gun. Yeah, that, that, yeah, I'm not, I'm not putting the bulletproof vest, like, to the test in terms of, like, my life, but... (laughs) I don't even think I don't like I, I don't think I could even like drink to the point to where like that seems like a, a good idea. Like that that's a that's a level beyond like hey like you know five star me with this airsoft pistol or whatever and like see if the like you know BB sticks in my back or whatever. Like that that's a real gun. Like I feel like that's something you should probably not be like you know too cavalier about. Yeah, like hey, put one in my chest. I don't figure uh, many people get to the point of drunk that they're like yeah, let's just put this twenty two in my back. Yeah, that uh, that 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 doesn't seem like a very smart strategy. Because I mean, what happens if you put it like a hole in the bulletproof vest or something, or you hit the same bullet spot twice? Like, I think you're, I think you're toast. Yeah. I mean, somebody's dead. Somebody's going to jail for murder because you got drunk. That does seem like a bad, uh, bad idea. Yeah, Only in Arkansas. Re- it seems relatively avoidable too. Like you probably just shouldn't drink enough to where you know you're like, hey, let's take turns shooting each other or whatever. Like that's like an intense version of like I remember when I was a kid, we used to play like the the ping pong version of uh like we called it sting pong. Basically, if you like lose a point, you let the guy like peg you in the back with the ping pong ball. Like oh, until good God. Like, someone quit. Yeah, like we I don't know we were weird kids, but like. That like that's a more extreme version of that. It's like, oh, like take a shot and like shoot me in the chest with this. I don't really get that. <laughs> what what do you get out of that? I, I, I maybe like the thrill of like being like near. I, I don't know. Like some people like I don't know. Like being near death, but not really. I, I have no idea. None, none of this seems desirable. I've, I've never heard of anything like this. To be completely honest, so I wonder, I wonder what you get charged with for that. It didn't it didn't say the charges. I wonder what you what, what the charge is for that. Yeah, because I don't think you can like consent to letting someone else shoot you. Like, I don't think that's how I don't think that's how that works. So I, I don't. You think you think like the one of the wives called the cops? <laughs> They're like our husbands are shooting each other. Yeah, and I, and I don't know how that nine one one call goes. Like, what do you mean they're shooting each other? Because you you know you figure after one shot, like you know somebody's probably not firing anymore. But that that's that's a difficult one to explain away. So good submission. Um, that's about all I got. We will be back at it Friday with some probably some Final Four previews. Look into the Florida series, get into some spring football. Should be a fun show. For now, uh, or Colin, do you have anything else? I'm good. All right. Well, I am Brian Scott Rippey. That is Colin Brewster. We appreciate you listening. We'll be back at it on Friday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.